episode 143 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 13th of September 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Bonsoir. And Will. Hello. So let's get straight into this then with first impressions. Last time, Gobo Linux came up. I'm not sure who suggested this, but uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I had a bad time. Failing, I know you did, but Will, my understanding is you had not a terrible, terrible time, so you have to go first uh, and try and say something positive. Well, the Haunted Laptop had no problems with Gobo Linux whatsoever. And that just shows how wrong it was. Right. <laughs> It goes from just like slightly broken to completely bizarre, but it was it was fine. It installed first time. I didn't have to muck about with um, secure boot. Maybe secure boot still off. Maybe that's why it worked. I don't know. But anyway, I got it installed. No trouble. And typing star X reminded me of the good old days. <laughs> the real story on the the MacBook Pro that I've got Linux installed on natively. I still have star X because it just makes me feel so elite. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so uh, installed it, installed the desktop environment, booted into the desktop. Um, it is old looking, let's say. <laughs> and there are a few uh, oddities that on the top right hand corner, you've got the, the um, you know, all the usual icons. And there was this weird, like hammer shaped icon, which I assumed would be settings. And it took me ages to work out what it was. And it turns out that it just changed the laptop brightness. So there's a button to change the brightness, but I couldn't understand why there wasn't a button to do something a bit more useful. And then there's this round one, which I still haven't worked out what it does. You click on it and it goes red. I had no idea what that button does. There's a, a hydroelectric power station <laughs> in uh, Switzerland that vents water from the main lake every time you hit it. Well, sorry to those guys. But on the whole, I, I, it, was, it was okay. As with all of these things, I ran out of, uh, of ideas. I ran out of things to do with it after a very short amount of time. But generally, it worked. I like the concept behind it. I like the idea of having a directory with all of your files in it for that particular program. Like the the slash programs directory was quite a nice idea. But then after that, it started to fall a bit short. In the docs, it talks about how they have to have scripts to sort of hack around some of the decisions that application developers make when they package their applications in order to make it work with Gobo. And that felt like you're sort of swimming upstream at that point, making things difficult for yourself. But I can see uses for it. I can see in in containers and things like that, the ability to just copy an entire directory from one machine to another machine and know that you've got everything you need in that one directory. You can tar it up, you can copy it around, unpack it, and you know that it's going to work. I can see that being useful to sysadmins, not being one myself. I imagine it's useful. Perhaps it's not. Um, That all worked. It was fine. I fired up Firefox, and then the first thing that Firefox did was say, oh, you've got an old version of Firefox, but I can't update it. And then I thought, well, how do I update it? And then that's where things started going wrong. Then it became hard work, and I left it and still haven't gone back to it. Graham, you spent about 20 minutes with this after work today, just before we recorded. How did you get on? It ended up being about 50 minutes. So yeah, I thought I got it installed. Um, it took a bit of time going through the manual installer and I didn't follow the, doc- the documentation. But it basically, it steps you through, like it's, you have to use CF disk to partition the drive and assign it a location. And I thought 
it was successful. It then went off and installed. But unfortunately, when I rebooted the machine after the process, it never booted up. And I didn't have the time to properly look into it. So I booted then into the kind of the equivalent live mode after watching a YouTube video of somebody doing the same thing. So that pretty much took up all the time that I mistakenly left until the very last minute to do this homework. It seemed okay. It's my ignorance that stopped it working. Should it have done a better job? Maybe. The the instructions are very opaque. It's difficult to follow, at least from the terminal for the installation process, which may be fair enough, but I think it could give a few clues. No, it wasn't your fault, trust me, because the installation document on the wiki says how to run the installer. That's not how to install something. That's how to run the installer. With a capital I. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, everything's capitalised. The bottom line, as far as I can see, is that this is a Linux distribution that wants to go against the grain, do something completely different, change how the file system is structured. Now, that's fine. That is a laudable goal. There's a reason for this to exist. However, if you're going to go against the grain and be the iconoclast, you live and die by your documentation and how up-to-date you can keep that documentation. And unfortunately, the documentation is shit. There's no two ways about it. Like, it gives you examples of what to do, and then that shit doesn't fucking work. And so then you're scratching your head trying to work out how to do stuff. I mean, the installation was easy. I just put it into the live session, installed it, it had GPI there. It just, it was fine. You say that, but I, I didn't manage to get it to install. I did exactly what happened with Graham, but I did it like three times. I even watched a how-to video because I thought I was doing it completely wrong, but I did exactly what it said and it didn't boot. Well, I have the benefit of an Intel-only fairly beefy desktop that I can install on bare metal, so I'm not having to fuck around with VMs. So maybe that's why mm, it worked for me. Maybe. And it, it was all fine. And, you know, Awesome Window Manager is this fine tiling window manager that actually gives you a, a proper floating windows option. And just the whole thing was fine. But then when it came to trying to update the system or install new packages, I had to do a lot more work and spend a lot more time than I would have liked to have because the documentation was just so lacking. I really didn't want to come on here and shit on it. But you know, when you have a bad time, someone suggested it and like, you know, we tried it out and I do appreciate that they're trying to do something different and it's not just taking XFCE, changing the wallpaper and making it... Joe us. Yeah, exactly. Changing the wallpaper to black, moving the panel to the bottom, making the terminal green text on black background, all that sort of thing. It's it's not just that. This is something completely different and I just wish the documentation was better so that people who are new to it could have a better time all right well that wasn't a huge success but let's see what we're going to talk about next time i'll go to wheelofnames.com and spin the wheel all the pretty colors what's it going to land on xfce aha now i put this in because i want you all to try xfce to suffer what yeah i want you to suffer now i want you to give it a good go i want you to try it out whether that is with Zubuntu, nice and easy, or fucking install Arch from scratch and then XFCE for all I care. 
I'm just going to write down all my points right now. I don't even need to look. <laughs> it's easy. I've used Geos and an Atari ST. It'll be fine. Uh, I want you to give it a proper go and okay. try and make it how you want it because you can customise it. <laughs> Big terminal. <laughs> Install KDE. Oh, this is exactly how I want my XFC. I want you to all genuinely try it. And okay. <laughs> we will. Don't let me down, guys. Don't let me down. Setting wallpaper to black now on to a bit of admin then and first of all thank you everyone who supports us with paypal and patreon we really do appreciate that if you want to learn more and join those people latenightlinux.com slash support and if you want to get in contact latenightlinux.com slash contact okay this episode is sponsored by linode go to linode.com slash latenightlinux and see why linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both g2 and TrustRadius. From their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late-night-linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late-night-linux. Let's do some feedback then. We got quite a lot on our adventures with Mastodon and Fosterdon. Scott said, I don't get why it's a good thing that Twitter is using data science to manipulate you into staying on their platform. Those tools can also be used to support or suppress certain ideologies. And what's more, it's just as harmful as any other addiction. If you don't want to give that up, I get it. Personally, I'd rather stick to vodka if I want an addiction. Well, Scott... Why not both? (laughs) (laughs) He carries on. Twitter has the option to turn that off, though, and I always have. In the top right corner of your feed, you can switch it to latest tweets to get that exact, well, why am I here feeling after 15 minutes. Fuck, I've never seen that. Yeah, you get the algorithmic bullshit by default, but you can make it just latest tweets first. But you see, once you get bored of that, then you go on to the explore tab or whatever, and that's when you start learning about the various outfits that uh, celebrities have <laughs> worn to uh, the VMAs. And, uh, I, you know, I'm joking about that, but you do get a sense of, like, popular culture, current events, as trivial as they may be. That's why I like Twitter, because it gives me an insight into what everyone else is doing, maybe. You've got to have some way to find out how you can have a bit of banter down the post office. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And... Uh, I know that Mastodon has that to some extent, but like we found, there's less of that, much, much less of that, and much more of the Linuxy stuff. Yeah, I think variety is the spice of life, and Mastodon had very, for me anyway, had very little variety. As you say, sometimes it's nice to to sort of peek over the wall and see what else is going on, and that's what keeps it interesting. So Kev started a thread on Fosadon, and he said. I personally thought a lot of what was said was fair. I particularly like Joe's point around the fact that there's no algorithm at work here. We're not trying to keep people online. Also like the G plus analogy. Again, he agrees. I don't like being negative about something. And a lot of my personal negativity towards Foster Don was because I'm a bit 
burnt out on social media. And I think it was unfair to connect that necessarily to Fosterdon. And I think overall, the response to what we said has been quite positive. I think Kev's response is quite positive. I logged back into Fosterdon a couple of weeks ago to see what, and I was scared about that. But in fact, the conversation has been quite productive, at least compared to how it would be on Twitter. So that's been a good thing. And a lot of my criticism for it was really to do with the fact that maybe social media and that kind of small chat just isn't for me. So I'm glad that a lot of people took it in the spirit that it was taken from us from a certain perspective rather than a direct criticism of the platform, which is obviously what the people make of it. Yeah, Joel said in that thread, hey guys, how do you want us to say fun stuff when you barely made 20 posts combined? At the same time, you did not take advantage of the Federation where you can follow a lot of other people that don't even know FOSS. It's interesting since the official app got rid of the Federated timeline. As I said, mine was a rough week, so I'm still up to trying it and I've pinged a few messages back and forth. Not not much, but I'm going to keep going at it because I think it's valuable for what it is, which is just another channel to talk to a group of people that you would be interested in stuff that they're doing. So I think they all have their place, to be honest. I mean, I'm not much into Twitter for various fads or whatever. I, I use it as a particular purpose. So, yeah, I, I think I think I'll still keep at it and see how it goes. Well, similar to Joel, Simon said, I notice none of the criticism was about the technology. If the issue is with the content, be the change you want to see. And I think that is a fair enough criticism, really. Yeah, I agree. One of the posts I got was, um, so the only post I really did was a photo of some synth thing I was going to build. And somebody responded to say, well, how did it go? Have you built it? And it's true. I should post back and say, I did build it and this is what it does. And so I will do that. Yeah, link to your SoundCloud. (laughs) (laughs) When's your album dropping? Just building the brand, building the brand. All right, we got quite a bit of feedback about Bodhi Linux. The first one was from Patrick in the Telegram group. He said, just an FYI, guys, on Bodhi Linux. If you look for a theme online for it, you have to find one that was made for Enlightenment 17, as Moksha was forked from E17. But there's a lot of them that don't work due to some changes. The repos have some themes in there that have been fixed and ported from old E17 ones. So that's a good tip. And we got another one from Jeff, who says, um, Enlightenment is even more customizable and configurable than Plasma. You're meant to basically build your own environment, whether that's touch, small screen, large, mouse-based, keyboard-based, etc., etc. I remember way, way back that Tizen was looking to use the EFL libraries, and I'm pretty sure they still do. So those Samsung Tizen watches and Tizen environments are basically Enlightenment. I guess if you've got to build your own, then you can do the same thing with Plasma and just build your own widgets and themes too. Exactly. (laughs) But he also continues to say, um, also, you lot missed its killer feature since no one used it with two or more monitors. Enlightenment treats each display as its own desktop. They can all have their own workspaces and they all even get their own desktop folder. That's actually a pretty cool feature. Yeah, no, I did try this with two monitors, but I didn't dig in too much. Like A laptop plugged into a monitor, but I was mostly just looking to turn off the internal display and use the bigger monitor. So I didn't dig into that, and I don't like having um, different workspaces. But that does sound cool if you're into that. It does sound like it is very powerful. It seems like, I'm going to go so far as to say unique. I think it is. like It does seem to combine features from different desktop environments and different distros and like it or not i think it is its own unique thing 
Brian wrote in to say, you mentioned trying Bode on old hardware, such as i3, 3 gigabytes, which isn't old to me. You said you may look at how it performs on really old hardware like 32-bit. This is my use case. I use it on Intel Atom notebooks and the desktop runs pretty damn smoothly while providing many modern UI features, if a little unorthodox. It struggles a bit below one gigabyte. As you mentioned, apps are what eat the memory and processing, especially web browsers, or more accurately, web pages, with their resource-hungry effects and adverts. I definitely recommend it for such old hardware. In fact, it is the only modern desktop-based OS I can get to run on this hardware and still feel relatively modern. Well, thank you, Brian, because you have vindicated my choice to keep hold of an Inspiron 1300 that kicks around in my little office-slash-booth thing that I'm sitting in now. and. Uh, that is a 32-bit only Dell machine. It's actually really nice. The speakers are nice. The keyboard's lovely. Screen's a bit dim. But anyway, so I tried out the 32-bit version of Bodhi on this. And unfortunately, it is an older version of Bodhi that's based on Ubuntu 18.04 because after 18.04, Canonical pulled the plug on 32-bit packages mostly. Uh, we covered that at the time. So you're not going to be able to use a 32-bit version of Bodhi going forwards by the looks of things. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, what you've got there is an older version. It works really well, and I would say actually is marginally quicker than MX Linux, which I have also got installed on a different partition on this machine. Ultimately, though, it is the applications that let it down, but they did work slightly better. Like, I was able to watch some standard definition video locally, not on YouTube. YouTube was just a disaster. There was no acceleration there. I think you could maybe just about use this machine with old 32-bit Bodhi, but that support is not going to be there forever, unfortunately. Unless I'm wrong, I need to be corrected. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven-day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux it includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. All right, I had a shower thought the other day. What if you were in charge of the Linux desktop? So say you're now in charge of the desktop teams of Red Hat, Canonical, and SUSE. You're beholden to no one. You can do whatever you like, and you've got a decent budget. Not, you know, ridiculous, but a decent budget to hire people. What do you do immediately and what's the plan for the next five years? Phelim, I'm going to read your mind. You're going to you're going to change it all over to KDE Plasma, and then just say that's it, job done. Now, in a cunning turn of events, I'm going to keep the known people on, but have them on a project that goes nowhere and is never used in anything, so they can't <laughs> do any damage out there. But yeah, then uh, KDE's going to be all the way for everything else. Yeah, job done. Will you were in charge of a desktop team, albeit not you know all of them. And, uh, you know, you, you didn't have uh, complete control. So if you were promoted to be completely in charge of the major distros, desktops, what would you do? I think the first thing I'd do is get people 
on the board of the various desktop environments. I think that that's really important to affect change within those organizations. I think the distro engineering teams have a lot of really good first-hand experience about the sorts of things that their users are doing, the sorts of problems that they're having, and what they think about the design and the usability of certain desktop environments. So I think that if you want to build a desktop environment that is appealing to as many people as possible, and that gets attention to the little niggly bugs that otherwise get swept under the carpet. The way you do that is to be in charge of that desktop environment in a way that, in my opinion, Ubuntu was never able to achieve apart from with Unity. Um, So that's what I do. The first thing I do, get people on the boards of all of those desktop environments, and then start looking for mechanisms to get everybody pulling in the same direction. Graham, I know you are a big Plasma advocate and user, but you're also slightly more pragmatic than Phelim, so... Things have improved a lot with KD Plasma over the last few years, but the big issue, and I I do think it's the best desktop environment and it's getting better, but the big issue has always been the default configuration for the desktop. You can find out on on YouTube, even I've made a video on YouTube where tens of thousands of people have watched and have wanted to know how you configure this, how you choose the fonts, how do you get the the papyrus icons or the KD dark theme to work. And that's not even including all the settings that we always talk about. I think what I would do if I was allowed to, to make the KD Plasma desktop the default is actually come up with a really simple clean KD Plasma specific powerful theme that doesn't require any further configuration that even maybe hides a lot of the options from the default configuration so you're not overwhelmed by them but makes it still accessible in a way that maybe real testing accessibility testing that improves the streamlined KD Plasma desktop because I think it's the best option that we've got for for competing with macOS and Windows users. Right. Who wants to guess what I would do? Oh, gee, Joe. <laughs> would you set everybody's wallpaper to black and disallow <laughs> colors? Yeah. No, I'm going to surprise you. I would go Marte. Honestly, I think that's the best way forward. I'd say, Gnome, you go off and do your thing and have at it. And, you know, but I would obviously take a lot of the features or try and implement a lot of the more professional features of Gnome. But I think that Marte is in the best position to go forward. I know that you two really advocate Plasma, and I know that even Will, you're thinking about getting into it, and I've tried it and like it, but I think that Marte is the best fit for this job because it's traditional but flexible, configurable but not too configurable. It's traditional but also modern in the toolkits that it uses. It's got an active development team behind it, that you could obviously then bolster with a decent budget. And I think that, I mean, essentially, just rewind the clock to 10 plus years ago when Ubuntu abandoned Gnome 2 and just go back to that because it has progressed. The Mate project, I was skeptical when it was first forked that it would be maintained properly, but they've totally shattered my cynicism and it is a great project. It's not something I'm going to use because it's too close to XFCE, but I do genuinely think that Plasma is too configurable, Gnome isn't configurable enough, and Marte is the sweet spot. I think it's delusional, because old hat, I think KD is by far, and I'm not just saying that, but I think the features that people seem to have problems with, the configurability, 
you don't have to change those options there. Most of them are fine. I think a few defaults set for whatever you're trying to do. I think the technology is far greater on that side of things with all the plugins that you can do, talking stuff, the modern things, KD Connect, you know, Matic doesn't have any of those things. It's an old paradigm stuck in its past. It's a traditional paradigm that works. And you can get that with Plasma. And I, I suppose if I'd be open to being convinced, because uh, you know, I think the first thing I would do is not just make decisions on my own. I think I'd surround myself with people who know what they're doing. And mm. I think you have to have someone in charge. And ultimately, I would be the boss. But I would listen to people, and I'd be willing to hear the case for a Plasma-based desktop. But I think you'd have to get better defaults than we've ever seen with any distro with Plasma. I think it needs an overhaul. I think all the what's new stuff, all the broken links everywhere, the broken widgets, the broken extra things you can't download, all that needs to go. It needs a massive kind of cleanup. Mate is wonderful. It is a lovely desktop environment. But I also, I suppose, agree with Phelim that KD is kind of, and Plasma is ambitious. It's ambitious in its unification of all the notifications. It's tried in the past with telepathy. I think it's got, it's kind of got its foot in the future. And I like the way that it's going rather than kind of revisit the past. And let's face it, it has not had the investment of multiple companies the way GNOME has yet. I think the technology is far greater from the KDE side. And I think one of the things, like, obviously, my idea was a joke for my own shock horror, but I think one of the things that would be great would be to hire technical writers to write more documentation, clear things up, and I think do things for accessibility. You know, those are two factors where you need big backing behind. You need a lot of money to invest them because it's a small user group, but it's a very important user group. And generally, we just never have enough money to invest in that area. Well, yeah, regarding GNOME, we heard from various listeners. Uh, Lilis was one of them who said that they'd had problems with Japanese and Chinese characters that just didn't work in anything but GNOME. And that shows you some of the areas where GNOME has had investment from developers paid by big companies to work on it to add those kind of features. And I think that you can't just forget about that stuff. You need to implement them in whatever you choose, whether that is GNOME or Mate or Plasma or whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. We should be able to also share the work that's been done for GNOME because that's the nature of open source. I do think it's interesting we're all focusing on the the actual desktop user experience rather than other things like Pulse Audio or the overall like Suspend and Resume um, or Community or Marketing. They're all flawless solved problems, <laughs> Graham. I don't know why you'd even bring that up. Or perhaps the even bigger problem of software and applications that are available for this Linux desktop. Mm. Maybe that's something mm. we should be spending time and money on, which, you know, you've seen Canonical try and do that and succeed in a lot of cases, like with Skype and Slack, getting them into snaps, which I know some people hate. And, uh, you know, you see some people repackaging these snaps as flat packs, and then suddenly people stop moaning, which is uh, quite funny. But either way, you've got to get the software there. You've, you've got to, you know, the, the old example of the Adobe Suite or whatever, and Microsoft Office, you've got to get that software on the desktop or you're just wasting your time making this amazing operating system and experience that doesn't do the stuff that people want to do with it. I don't think we can please anybody, and I think we should stick to our grounds that we're good at, and I think we should make our software good. Those companies will be there or not there based on a whim or a business decision or 
whatever they happen to choose that day, whoever convinces them, I think we should still try and stick to our guns and make an hour market as good as it can be. Make LibreOffice better. Yes. <laughs> as somebody said to me the other day, there are two types of open source project. There are open source projects that everybody hates and there are open source projects that no one uses. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Who said that? Some Emacs bastard. <laughs> Well, the thing is, LibreOffice is totally fine for me. It works great. But my understanding is that if you are a Microsoft Office wizard who does all sorts of shit that would just blow my mind, it's not quite there with LibreOffice. And the same applies to whatever open source equivalent you want. Like my wife just could not get on with GIMP. She actually got on with Krita, funnily enough, just to make you happy, Phelim, I think. That's <laughs> because KDE is better. Yeah. I suppose you would have to maybe make that decision then. It doesn't have to be binary necessarily, but I suppose you'd have to decide, do you want to concentrate on trying to make the existing applications that we have better and competitive or go after the proprietary stuff? And and I suppose you don't have to pick one or the other, but like you have to lean towards one. And it seems like maybe Canonical have been leaning towards the proprietary end of things with Snaps. And fair play to them. I know you work on that team, Graham, so you can't say much about it, but like, I don't understand the hate there. It's in a repo that you can get if you want. And if someone wants Skype because their relative uses it in New Zealand and that's all they ever talk to them with, then I can say, well, yeah, use Ubuntu or any Linux distro and you can use Skype and it will work because of this snap. And I think that the work that Canonical has done there is underappreciated. Yeah, I, I think it has to be about empowering users, and I'd rather empower them to use 90% Linux software and then use that odd application to get in touch with somebody or whatever. I think that's a massive, massively important sort of thing to do. So, yeah, uh, all for it. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll probably be talking about what's been going on in the news. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.